appreciate the opportunity to provide a report on the current work in, in Ukraine. One way that we summarize our effort in Ukraine is this particular verse in the book of Acts. This is just before Paul was beginning his second missionary journey, Acts 15 and verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Of course, we don't make any uh, claim that our team was equivalent to Paul's team, but that was, that's our goal is to see how they are doing and to help them. We have a congregation there that we support in Krasnomesk that has been there uh, since 1994. They've celebrated their 20th year last year, and we're thankful that the, that the congregation continues. I want to, to bring you up to date on certain things that are, uh, are, are going on. We, uh, the mission committee several, um, several months ago probably, uh, were answering a, a request from Sasha that we help him find a house for his family. This would provide a, a way to, um, to get the church out of the house and, and provide more, a little bit more room for the church. And uh, we looked at the budget and we realized that we could do this for less than what we were spending on a trip. Uh, each year. We haven't been able to go on a trip since 2012. So we looked into this and in probably next week he's going to move into this house and this will give the church there the entire uh, apartment that they are now worshiping in for the church. Also I want, I, I'm sure many of you remember two years ago almost to the day, March the 3rd 2013, we had a special contribution for uh, buying a, a property where the Krasnomist Church could worship. Uh, many months went by and we had trouble getting things working and going, and we, but we were almost at the point of buying a property when the conflict arose in Ukraine and it is now impossible to do that at this time. But I want you to know that uh, the, the money that was taken up has been set aside, it's in the bank, and we are ready just as soon as we have the opportunity to do that. And we ask that you pray that, 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 that the conflict there will get, get better, if, if hopefully get back to normal like it was before. We would love to be able to go back and visit them again, if we could. Um, if you would, uh, bring us the next slide. This is the congregation, uh, a, very, a current picture of the congregation now. And if you notice from the picture, there are a number of young people there now. Uh, the, the, the minister there, Sasha Rodnyev, and his wife, Julia, they are worked hard and, and constantly for, I think they've been there probably, I think about nine or ten years now, and they have done a wonderful work and they've kept this congregation going, they're bringing in young people. And one thing that we've observed that, that Sasha has reported is that in Donetsk, where the, most of the fighting has been taking place, uh, there are many refugees that are coming to the outside outlying counties to try to get away from some of the violence and so they have uh, been able to to work with some refugees while they were there uh, and uh, and that has helped uh, to bolster the influence of the church there uh, <coughs> Sasha is, is like I mentioned he's done a very good work that we, we, we know what we see but we've heard reports from other preachers the the gentleman uh, that works with the what they call the Americrane Camp that uh, is a church in Alabama, in Florence, Alabama. He has made high compliments of him and his work. Uh, if you would uh, bring up the, the third slide. 
Okay, this is a, a recent photograph of uh, Sasha and his wife and their daughter, Lyra. Uh, Sasha, Julia, and Lyra. Uh, they are hardworking, they're a young couple, but they, they also administer, administer to the older people very well. And uh, the church is strong, it, it really is strong. And uh, I wanted to bring out a point that uh, there was re a, a recent baptism, and this resulted from one of the young ladies in the church, Anne, I have trouble with last names, but anyway, her name is Anne. She works with the shelter, and she brought one of her friends to Christ when she was and she was baptized recently. Her her name was Sveta, and she was she's 23 years old. I asked Sasha in an email if he would uh, if he had anything he would like to say to their congregation, and he wrote me a, a letter back, an email, and uh, I have uh, tried to clean up the English a little bit. <laughs> He's, he's very good at English. He's improved immensely, but uh, he still has a little trouble. But I want to read it to you now, and then uh, I'll sit down. He says, hello, we have the same lessons we had in the past. Old Testament on Thursday, New Testament on Saturday, and includes lessons for children and teenagers. And on Sunday, we have morning and evening worship services. We continue to do work at the shelter in Krasnermisk, and Ann does good work with them, and, helps her, and he helps her too. Uh, this is where I mentioned that about Sveta bring uh, Anne brought her to Christ. He says, we no longer go to the orphanage in the Vosholon because it's too dangerous right now. Side note there, no, Vosholon is on the road all the, to Donetsk, and any, you don't want to go toward Donetsk if you can help it. We also have lessons through a program we call Learn English from the Bible. The lessons are divided into age groups, ages 2 to 9 and 10 to 14. We plan to split the younger group into two groups soon, one being two to five and the other age six to nine. We have 12 children enrolled at this time and Julia teaches the lessons. In the future, it would be great to open a class for the older children entitled English for Kids Through the Bible. We also plan to have classes for adults. We have had problems with the church money because most of the money we had was on Vera's account at the bank. We lost it when the bank claimed bankruptcy. We will try to retrieve the money through a court of law. As for the house we bought, we will not be able to move in for another week, and since we gave them two weeks to move. At the moment, the church meets in the same flat as usual, and we will be living there until we move. We keep working to help refugees. Two people now live in Roman's older house, but not the one he currently lives in. Currently, they need help to buy coal for heating. As for the war, Krasnomysk is not far from it. In a town called Gradovka, very near where I live, was bombed a few weeks ago. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you very much for your help. I want to tell you that God uses you for the work in Krasnomysk, and without your support and help, the work would be impossible. With love in Christ, Sasha. I ask that you pray for the work and pray for Sasha. There's, uh, his email address is on the uh, bookmark that was handed out this morning, and I'm sure he would love to get email from you. Thank you. Hello, my name is Todd Burka, and on behalf of the Missions Committee, I'd like to give a report on two um, mission points that we support as a congregation. I've been given 10 minutes to do this, and uh, that should just remind us the blessing of having a Missions Committee with a sense of humor and how we're all able to enjoy that on a regular basis. <laughs> I've been on the committee for about a year, and um, I've enjoyed this, uh, this service very much. You get to see uh, a new aspect of church work and uh, dynamic all over the world. It's, it's a very exciting thing. And There's my contact info. That's them. Um, can we go back to the first one? 
so you can all email me later or text me. If you have any questions about anything uh, that I talk about here with uh, Laos or Peru, please feel free to reach out. Genesis 12.1 reads, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Um, this is the boldness that I see in these two mission points. Uh, these are young people um, with educations, uh, career potential, family and stability here in this country. Uh, and they chose to walk away from that. They chose to walk away from their culture and their language, um, become like children and struggle, um, not really know where to go. And they did that for the cause of Christ and for the gospel. Um, the first year, each of these uh, have these two works have something in common, but uh, they've all been they've been together for about a year on the ground, and that's kind of an acclimation time. Uh, and they will begin um, outreach in earnest now that they're getting a grasp on the language. There are many things that are different about these two. They're actually overseen by different church groups, uh, different resources, different problems they face. Um, I'm proud to say that the commonality, though, the thing that lets me stand up here and say them both in one breath is that they, uh, they both care for the lost and are sowing the seed uh, following the Great Commission. Let's go to that, the next slide, please. In Laos, we see uh, Michael and his wife, Chris, with a K, their children, Cannon and Austin. They're in the capital city of Laos right now, Vientiane. Um, and their movement is different than other mission works that I expected to hear about. Um, Usually you, you hear about people going and supporting a small congregation. Um, Christianity is illegal in Laos. They have to be undercover. They have to go with a work visa saying they'll teach English and they do that during the day. Um, but their, their campaign strategy is entirely different and informed by this, uh, this culture. Uh, they're searching out persons of peace like we see in Luke 10. And so they're not congregation building, they're disciple building on an individual basis, something I find. Um, very interesting. Once you get your mind around that, it's, it's, a, it's a very attractive work. Now let's go to the next slide, and you'll see a picture of, of the town. I asked Michael to send me some slides, and he, I think he just took some pictures for me. Um, you think about the challenges that they face about going into a city where they don't know the language or culture and just, uh, you know, kind of starting from, from nothing there, uh, and what opportunities they might find. I was happy to hear Michael emailed me and told me about... Um, the only medical school in the whole country of Laos is in the capital there. And they've actually, Michael and Chris, have been afforded the opportunity to be a part of the English education of the only medical school in the whole country. So how neat is it to think that every doctor in, in Laos will, uh, will have one of our missionaries as a, a help them learn English and possibly make a contact for the Lord there. Let's go to the next slide, please. Um, this is, he said this is his favorite food place to eat. Uh, this is Philip's friend, by the way. Philip Jenkins sent me this. So if, if anything goes wrong with this missionary, please talk to Philip. Let's go to the next slide. Okay, uh, he, has a, he has a blog here, and I can get you his contact information. The phone is not on silent. Okay. Good deal. Um, <laughs> uh, they asked for a specific prayer request, an oddly specific prayer request, um, for a specific prayer that they find in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, and that is, Lord of the harvest, please raise up workers for your harvest field in Laos. Something I'll be happy to, to honor at the end of my little talk here. But let's go to Peru really quick. And actually, I've, I found a site that tells you what's on the opposite side of the globe, and I was happy to see that Peru and Laos actually are on nearly polar opposite points of the globe. That's just trivia. 
Let's go to the next one. Ryan and Sarah Davis. Uh, Ryan's been here, speak before, and uh, Lord willing, he'll come again. Uh, they are one couple on a team of five couples currently serving in Cusco, Peru. Uh, you can see they left behind a lucrative modeling career uh, to go do that work. Um, this is a work that was started in 2010, even though Ryan and Sarah have been there only a year. Uh, they were like the second wave. The first group, we realized they needed support, so Ryan and Sarah answered that call. Um, the congregational theme this year is Uno Mas. They're all looking for one more soul. Uh, the more I read about their work, and they have a very colorful handout, limited edition, in the lobby if you want. Um, it's neat to see the buy-in from the congregation there. They all take this not as um, these missionaries are here to serve us, but we're all here to serve together, and they take it uh, very personally. Um, so they're all looking for one more soul as a family. Let's go to the next slide. See what that is. Oh, there's Cusco. Nice. Um, one of the key success features and a difference from Laos is that each of these families, Ryan and Sarah being one, they all have their own specialty. Uh, one does one-on-one -on -one Bible studies. One person focuses on um, media outreach. One person focuses on public speaking, things like that. They diversify, and I think they succeed in that way. It's, it's neat what they can accomplish when they all have their own specialty. It, re it makes for many service opportunities and outreach programs in the town. Let's, let's see some of those. Their attendance goal, they actually, today, oddly enough, was the first time they went to two services. Um, and some of the things I'll tell you about this congregation don't sound like a, a mission point, but like a, a congregation down the road. They went to two services today, uh, morning and evening service, and um, they have about 70 uh, each Sunday. They're looking, at the end of 2015, uh, for your, to add to your prayer list, they're looking for about 150 in attendance each Sunday. Let's go to the next one. They have a children's ministry. Uh, they're allowed to go to a public school on a regular basis and teach there. What a blessing that is. They can also adopt the children and give out gifts like we do for, for Christmas and have, have that contact with the community. Let's go to the next one. There's actually a women's um, ministry already. Uh, they have a weekly uh, academic level Life of Christ course that's well attended. Uh, and you see Sarah there in the, in the teal. Small groups are a big uh, part of their outreach. The young people there, many stories you'll read about in their newsletter uh, are when children bring their parents to church for the first time. And uh, that's a huge inroad into the community, one that they're uh, proud to specialize in. I think the next one's their contact information. If you'd like to be on their mailing list, you can re reach out to me and I'll provide that to you or you can email them directly. Send out a, a newsletter each month. They have three specific prayer requests. Uh, one is that God bless their decision uh, to go to a second service. Uh, another is the upcoming medical campaign. That's next week and, the, and for a full week, a week from today. And the third prayer request is that God be with their campaign in July of 2015. And if you have any interest in being a part of that, please uh, reach out to me and let me know. Um, I'll lead a prayer for these requests and thank you for your time. Pray with me, please. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much. Um, for letting us be a part of your family and for having our family be so diverse. Uh, we look forward to one day meeting our brothers and sisters from Laos and Peru. Please raise up workers for your harvest field in Laos, Lord, and please send one more soul to the congregation in Peru that they can be encouraged and, uh, and see your work more clearly. Please give us the wisdom to support them in every way we can. Thank you so much for your, for your son and the hope that he offers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Good evening. I'm going to give you a quick update on our plans for the stateside campaign for 2015. As most of you are aware, our, this past year we had the 12 questions campaign here locally. Well, typically we go somewhere outside of local, somewhere within a three to five hour drive, but every fifth year we try to do one here in Mount Juliet. So this year we're due to go somewhere else. We're going to be going to the Great Oaks Church of Christ in the Memphis, Tennessee area. It's kind of between Bartlett and Germantown. They're a congregation of about 450 people, somewhat quite similar to us. We actually have several connections there. The Roques are there working with Hispanic ministry, and actually when they started, there were between 20 and 40 people attending on Sunday morning, and now there's about 80, and that's just in about a year's time. It's also where Colton Shannon is. He's the young adult minister there. And we actually have several families that attend here that came from there. So Mike Kibbe and I went down there and met with the elders and some of the ministers about a month ago just to kind of see what they had in mind. We'd actually talked about the 12 questions campaign we did, and they've decided to do 12 questions Memphis. They will be doing all of the advertising. They'll be doing all the website stuff, all that stuff. We'll be just going down there to help them door knock. It's a very large area. As I said, it's even the area is very similar to Mount Juliet. There's going to be a lot of opportunities to go down there and knock doors. Um, as we, I mentioned, there is a very large Hispanic population. So we're in the process of translating our Bible study into Spanish so that we can go down there and reach those also. Um, as always, we'll knock doors on Saturday, Sunday between services, and Sunday night have the seminars just like we did here. Knock doors Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the seminars at night, just like here. It's a relatively short drive. If you want to come for the weekend, you can do that. We always have what we call weekend warriors, or you can come for the whole time. We'll leave on Friday night, July the 10th, and typically come back on Thursday, July the 16th. Um, every time we go on these campaigns, there's always a story. Something amazing that happens. Had one happen to me several years ago in Grant County. I go and knock on the door. A guy opens the door. I notice his coffee table has got a Bible open. I just asked him, what are you studying? Baptism. I couldn't believe it. Mitch came and studied with him. He was baptized as of three or four years ago. He was still a faithful member of that congregation. But for those things to happen, we have to have people. People have to go. And we also have to have prayers. That guy's heart was prepared because God prepared it. So be prayerful with this campaign. Please consider going. You'll hear much more about it in the future. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Doug Williams and I'm probably one of the newest members of your mission committee and I'm honored tonight to be able to pre present to you information on behalf of the work in Belém, Brazil. I encourage you because I don't have slides tonight, if you still have time this evening to check out the information uh, in our booth in the lobby, there's also a fact and an information sheet there that you can pick up uh, to encourage you to look at more ways to be involved with this work. Tonight I bring you greetings from the Fowlers. From Nick and Amy, their children Jonah and Amy, or excuse me, Jonah and Sarah, 
and also from our new brothers and sisters in Belém, Brazil. Before I begin this evening, though, I want to offer a word of gratitude and thanks. And that is to our elders and to the Mount Juliet Mission Committee uh, for their mission-mindedness and their commitment to spreading the gospel and expanding the kingdom of God. Specifically, I want to thank them for their oversight and for their support of the Fowlers in this work in Brazil. Secondly, I'd like to offer my thanks to the Perrys, to Doug and Sharon who have given much dedication and concern uh, in their personal oversight of the mission effort since its inception. They've been in, involved in the well-being of the Fowlers through their early years in settlement into Brazil. Certainly this work has not been without its challenges, and the Perrys were there every step of the way to make sure that the Fowlers were safe and secure and had all that they needed to begin this work. The past 12 months, we've seen many milestones achieved. One of the transitions that has taken place at the end of last year was the role of li the liaison for Nick and Amy. That has been fully transitioned now from Doug and Sharon to me and to my family. And I'm excited to report to you that we accept that responsibility and we have embraced that wholeheartedly. We hold Nick and, Nick and Amy very dear to our hearts and the work in Brazil is very dear to us as well. And finally to you, our trusted partners and supporters. You're to be commended on your continued support and concern for both the Fowler's well-being and the spread of the New Testament church in Brazil. None of this would be possible without God and his children who are capable and willing to have a heart for souls. You know, Nick has asked us on many occasions if we would just simply hold the rope. And it is my belief and I expect that we have done just that over these last five years. And I believe and I expect that we will do just that for the years coming up. So tonight I would like to share with you a few things that you need to know about the work in Brazil. I will inform you about the Fowlers themselves and the work that they're doing, our future plans, and certainly how we need you to be involved and for your continued support. The Fowlers are doing well. They're healthy mentally, physically, spiritually. They're a strong family unit. The children are growing up well in Brazil. Jonah, now seven, as any seven-year-old would be, is very interested in Legos and superheroes. And Sarah, well, she's working eagerly on her independence, as any two-year-old redhead would do. You can ask me later how I know about that. They're a strong family union. They have become well-seasoned veterans in the field. It would not be unusual to see and know that they are fully immersed in the culture and in the language, the Portuguese language. Nick and Amy have become very durable for their mission work and for the work ahead. But I recognize one thing about the Fowlers. They're a family that is well aware of their mission and their purpose. I'll share with you a quick story that we encountered Back in August when our family visited, we took an afternoon we all piled in the car and we were traveling around the city of Belém. We were going to see some of the culture and some of the structures in the city. It was one of those structures that we saw that really struck our eye and it was probably one of the most historic and probably one of the most beautifully ornate buildings. It was a church building there in Belém. 
We asked Nick if we could stop and actually go and see it up close and in person. He said, certainly, we can go inside if you like. So we found a parking spot across the road. We stopped there for a minute as Nick kind of gave us a little bit of insight and a little bit of information about what we might experience in this building. And then he proceeded to tell the kids a few instructions and rules that might be important. How to behave, be respectful, be courteous, be quiet. And to that statement, Jonah had a very peculiar response. He said, yes, yeah, sir, I hear you, Daddy. But aren't we going in there to teach them the Bible and about Jesus? And it was right then that I realized that their whole family knows what their mission is. You see, Nick is more than capable and more than equipped to go into any place in any part of that city and share the gospel of Christ. And so it is that Nick continues on with a full schedule of one-on-one -on -one Bible studies, of carrying on with outreach programs that would be week-long studies that encourage members of the community there to get involved in a way that they can ask and learn about the Bible. He continues to hold courses and studies that are encouraging and training the new Christians to increase in their spiritual maturity. We have seen steady growth from a humble beginning. To date, yes, true, there's only been 12 baptisms, but those are 12 more souls that are in the body of God. But there are many others that regularly attend the worship service there with our body of believers in Belame. You have to remember that Belame is a city that is not completely unreligious. They have lots of ways in which they are distracted. It's a tough culture in a sense that they have firm convictions that there is a God, but many false religions have distracted them away from what the true teachings of the Bible are. It's a very close community and their friends and their families. And so Nick has had to find a way to engage in the community, engage in the culture, and certainly be able to influence those for Christ. But the good news is, is now we're seeing leaders beginning to rise up. We're seeing that there's spiritual transformation in the lives of our new Christians there. And yet this year, Nick has been able to see to come to fruition one of his main goals. And that is disciples reproducing disciples. Earlier this year, our new brother and sister, Alan and Maria, were neighbors and friends of one of our young Christian families there, Felipe and Maria. Felipe had influence over his friend and his neighbor. He engaged with Nick to be able to teach him the gospel of Christ. And last month we saw that plan come together. Felipe was able to baptize his friend and the influence he had over Alan, who then turned right around and baptized his then very pregnant wife. Since then they've given birth to their new child and that family is well embedded in the family of Christ there in Brazil. So what have we done? The past 12 months, milestones have been met. Brazil was the first recipient of Mount Juliet's first mission intern. Our very own Alan Cantrell had spent 10 weeks there last year. We had a successful Let's Start Talking campaign where three individuals from our own congregation spent three weeks there teaching the English language through the Let's Start Talking program. A decision has been made to cease the rental and use of the Outreach and Worship Center. The reason for this is somewhat because the members there had decided and, and talked amongst themselves 
to be able to worship in their homes as the New Testament Christians had. And that the facility was somewhat of a distraction for upkeep and maintenance. And so the last few months, they've been meeting in homes, usually in Nick and Amy's home. But at least once a month, they try to get out and go to another member's home for their worship. Our future plans include, and probably one of the most important pieces of information you need to know, Nick and Amy have committed to an additional two years to be in the field in this mission campaign. In June of this year, they will have reached their initial commitment of five years, and with their committed extension of two years, that will be taking them until June 2017. This year, again, we'll be sending an English outreach campaign that will happen in the second half of this year. We'll be sending at least four members of the Brazilian body there to a gathering of Christian workers in Sao Paulo. This will be the first opportunity that those young Christians will have to see other Christians outside their own community, to be encouraged and influenced and to learn ways in which they can further their spiritual walk and how they can influence others. Additionally, we're trying to seek funding to send two of our young Brazilian members to a summer camp. Finally, you need to know that the, that the Fowlers plan to return here on a furlough this year. It will probably be late spring or early summer. I would encourage you as you see them on the ground here this year that you, that you talk to them, that you put your arm around them. You let them know how supportive you are, how you love them, and, and give them more encouragement. They will continue on with another two years of work in this field, and they need to know that we are here to support them. My family and I plan to return as well in 2015 uh, to learn more about the work and to provide encouragement on the ground in Belain. So how can you get involved? Well, we certainly need you to pray. Pray without ceasing. We invite you and encourage you to join us every Sunday afternoon at 540. We gather for a prayer session in room 201. Also, if you'd like to be receiving an email that Nick puts together every week, you can see me about being, becoming part of that list and I'm including you in that email. We also have a financial need for your partnership. For the upcoming two years, if you are a current supporter, you need to know the importance of this. With that, extend, with that extended commitment through 2017, your continued support is needed. If you are not currently a supporter of this work individually, I would encourage you to consider that at this time. We're going to need you for the next two years to help continue this work. As I mentioned before, we will be planning and sending an English outreach team. We see this team being a membership of about four to six individuals that will spend about three weeks on the, cam on the campaign in the field with Nick and Amy, teaching the English language using the Bible. If you'd like to know more about that, please see me or Tony Torres. Luke chapter 10. Verses 1 and 3. After these things, the Lord apportioned 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. The landscape in Brazil is beautiful, but it is raw. It's untamed. 
both in the Amazonian rainforest and in the urban jungle of Belain. The people there are beautiful and their souls are real, but their hearts and their minds are confused. The culture there is challenging and highly distracted by false religions and mere idols that they cling to in all-out desperation. But there is a light. A light in Belém and a light for Brazil. It's a light that shines in dark places. It's one that exposes the deepest sins of the world and brings hope and truth to an otherwise despaired and falsely led people. That light is the gospel of our Jesus Christ. And the Fowlers have given themselves to be one of the few, one of the few laborers to be sent out and take that gospel to the people in Belém, Brazil. And it's that gospel that transforms and changes lives no matter what corner of the world. A transformation that is beautiful and humbling. Tonight as we close, I want to tell you how your support and your collective commitment and partnership with the Fowlers has had a tremendous impact on the life of one individual. During our visit last August, I met Miguel for the first time. I met him on several occasions during some of the church gatherings and on occasion he would just drop by Nick and Amy's home. And I knew a little bit about Miguel and his story. See, Nick had told me some of the things about him along the way. How he had heard the gospel. How he had obeyed the gospel by putting on Christ in baptism. How he was growing maturely wise in his spirituality. How he was taking on a leadership role in the body there. Teaching and preaching. It was one of those stories that you would expect to hear coming out of the mission field. And someone like Miguel. But I knew there was something very unique and very curious about this individual. He was very humble. He was very approachable. His smile would beam from ear to ear all the time. He was one of those things where if you could just talk to him and hear his story, you knew it would be great. But of the few people that spoke English and of those that you could carry on a conversation with, Miguel was not. And so he was very content to just sit there and smile and let you know how much he appreciated you being there in so many other ways than his speech. A rather unique and humbling individual. It was our last day in Belain. We were packing up and ready to leave and head to the airport. And it was not uncommon for them to stop by and say their goodbyes and maybe present you with a gift or a farewell. And Miguel did just that the day we were leaving. He came to stop by and we were exchanging our goodbyes and cordial exchanges through Amy translating. And at that point he handed me a letter, a handwritten letter in an envelope. And I was very content to just take that letter and set it aside because I knew I would not be able to read it until it could be translated into English. And so we carried on for a little while longer just talking about when we might return and that we should have a safe trip home. And then it dawned on me. I have a little bit of time left here in Belain. And I thought of one thing. Moto Taxi. You see, Moto Taxi 
was Miguel's profession. And only a few days earlier, we had enjoyed an awesome adventure into the Amazonian jungle on two wheels on a mountain bike. And I thought, hey, what better way than to explore the urban jungle than on two wheels, moto, taxi. And so as I conversed with Amy to try to tell us that, you know, hey, this is his profession. Is there a way that maybe I could, you know, buy his services for a little ride on a motorcycle through the city? And she said, no, no, no. Do you know what you're asking for here? Sure, I've been on a motorcycle before. No problem, right? She said, okay. So she had a quick conversation with Miguel. And she warned me. She said, now, don't offer this as a business proposition. Culturally, that would be rude. He really, really wants this to be his gift. And I thought, that's great. So as I, I quickly conversed with her, I could see that his face was lighting up about the opportunity. And sure enough, he quickly obliged, and I found myself on the back of Miguel's motorcycle, touring the city of Belém. Now quickly, let me give you a lay of the land. Belém is a city that certainly does not extend the kind of courtesies that we would hear in America on the roadways. Not even close. They save money in their city, and I know why. They don't spend any money to paint any lines on the roads. And they could probably save more if they just did away with the street lights and the street signs. And so we took off across that city. It's a city that's heavily populated on the roads by all kinds of vehicles, buses, cars, pedestrians, bikes. And at every stoplight, every space is filled in by the motorcycles all the way up to the front line between every bus and between every car. And so it was a little bit of a thrill and I thought, well, this could be a little crazy, but here I go. And I figured out quickly what their routine was. At the green light, all the motorcycles take off and race to the next one to fill in all the empty spaces. A little exhilarating, but still interesting nonetheless. And so we did that a few times, and I was catching on to the routine. But then there was one particular light where we came to a stop. Up at the front was all the motorcycles, and I could tell very quickly that there was a colleague beside Miguel on his motorcycle. They began conversing. I couldn't really tell what they were talking about, but on occasion I could tell that they were talking about me being on the back. He referred to me as one time as Primo Americano. I don't know what that meant, but I thought at the time I felt pretty good about it. <laughs> we took off from that light and we got up to speed and I could tell that they were still having their conversation while we're driving, on motorcycles, mind you. The next thing I know, is what really turned me on to Miguel's heart. As we're traveling down the road, racing to the next light, he's having the conversation with his peer next to him. He reaches over in his jacket and pulls out a piece of paper as we're traveling down the road and hands it to his friend on the other motorcycle. I know now for certain that that piece of paper was an invitation to an outreach meeting that Nick had scheduled. Friends, I can tell you because I've done it. Knocking doors in Mount Juliet is great and honorable. But you have never been on an evangelistic campaign until you've been on the back of a motorcycle and invited your neighbor at 40 miles an hour. <laughs> Miguel knew what it, was, what it meant to him to have been presented the gospel. It meant that every opportunity he had, he was going to invite someone else and share that same great message. I want to read to you tonight the letter uh, that Miguel had sent me. 
And really, this is a letter to you. He says, I am 38 years old. I was reached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have two sons. One is 15 years old and the other is 12. I thank the brethren of the United States for sending a missionary to Belain, Pará. It was when I heard the truest form of the gospel. It was then that I had my strength to leave drugs. I was an addicted man, and today I am free. I am thankful first to Jesus Christ and then to the brethren of the United States. Thank you, Miguel. You need to know that our support and our commitment has had an influence on that young man's life. I am certain that he will raise up to be a great leader in that place. And long after the years of us doing work there, Miguel will be at work. He will be there sharing the gospel with anyone that he can. John chapter 10, verse 19. Excuse me, John chapter 3 and verse 19. And this is the command, condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, and that they have been done in God. What does the light mean to you? I promise you that the light meant a lot to Miguel. The light that was taken to Brazil by Nick and Amy. The light that shone in on his life to show him there were things that weren't quite right. But the light that he knew if he drew closer to it meant salvation and meant him being free free from sin. You and I have that same opportunity. It may be that you have acted on that opportunity, that you have studied the Word of God and you've been convicted and have honored His will and His, His commandments to us to obey Him and put Him on in baptism. Maybe life hasn't been that easy for you. Maybe your commitment to that light has not been as it should be. Or maybe for you tonight, you know what that light is and you know what that light means in your life, but you haven't fully obeyed it. Tonight would be the opportunity for you to put him on in baptism, to obey our Lord and Savior and his plea to become one of his children. Tonight the opportunity is yours. We've heard of many, many awesome mission works that this congregation supports. I pray that you will find your place and... and Find where you can help and be involved because there's work for all of us to do in many great places of this world. But tonight, the invitation is yours. It's God's invitation to become closer to Him, to become a dedicated life in serving Him in any way that you can, or tonight in putting Him on in baptism to be called a child of God.